Thunder, the calm before the storm. All right, so we're here in another episode of Man Sap. <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> so today's gonna be just us having conversation about our relationship with food. The only relationship that has never failed us. Yeah, and brought all us pleasure way. all the time. <laughs> Not all the time. Not all the time. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Not all (laughs) all the time. (laughs) So, what do you think is, or what is the first experience that really made you think differently about food? For me, it's a simple answer. Mom's cooking. Nice. That's as simple as it is. I mean, I can can delve in more like later on, but the short answer is mom's cooking. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, And for for you, yeah. Actually, it's when I got my first cookbook. What was your first cookbook? Um... It's the Naked Chef. Nice, Jamie, Jamie Oliver. Oliver. My yeah. man. So, so I think that's like something most people around our age I agree. start with, you know, like Jamie Oliver kind of got people into pasta. And I think it also didn't look uh, pretentious. Like yeah. the, the image it of... It wasn't scary. Correct. The image of, uh, of fine dining, right, was what Europe fed the world, right, which mm. was America. And what uh, Asians were consuming was American media. So to us, back then in the, the 90s... middle ground. The, yes. And then suddenly, this guy, Jamie Oliver, comes along, uses his hands, Fun. dips into food, puts it in his mouth, and then messes about. And, and talking with a British accent. Yes. Yes. And I think everyone just fell in love with it. Yes. And he was also like this guy who, I mean, he had, he had lisp as well, right? And yeah. yeah. And it was quite a bad. Flaw. At the, yeah, a flaw. So we related to that. He is the guy next door. He is us. Yeah. Right? True. And in Very his earlier so. episodes called The Naked Chef, his house, he was living in a, in a, in a, uh, two 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 story uh, apartment, right? And and then dinner parties, yes, preparing Christmas dinner for yes. the for the then girlfriend who then became wife. Yeah. So it it really looked like this is something we could do. It is not impossible, right? Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So okay. So naked chef. Then what yeah, else? So so the cookbook actually started to really something I read nonstop. You know. I was flipping through pages all the time. And then... What was the first dish you cooked from that book? Can you remember? Uh, it's just a lemon pasta, something like that. Oh. Yeah. Can't Wait, really remember. Like, like it was yeah. like lemon juice and then like pasta. Yeah, some, simple, and a bit but, of cheese. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Okay, okay. Very Italian. Yeah. I don't think it's something uh, Chinese people like a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you also have a very angmore yeah. palette, lah, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, spend my allowance on more cookbooks okay. and... Reading stories, reading uh, Anthony Bourdain. Oh, nice. You know, Marco Pierre White's book. And yeah. then, like, it gave me a very different perspective. About Which one kitchen. of uh, MPW's uh, books did you read? Um, his, the White something. Uh, the what? first one. It was his bio, basically. Oh, right. right? Okay. And then he was talking about how he got started into fine dining. What led to him getting his first star. And then, you know, you just really listen about how these chefs think. Mm. Completely different. Mm. And... I just soaked it all up, you know, I really loved it. Nice. And they were raw, they were like swearing all the time and yeah. all this nonsense. And at a young age, it was impressionable, la, right? <laughs> the rock star chef. Yeah, yeah. Did you read any of these books? I only read Anthony Bourdain's. Yeah. yeah. As with the world. As Anthony Bourdain's is a different perspective. Uh, yes, rock star, gangster, drugs, booze. But it was the viewpoint of a chef who had run his own kitchen, then now left the safety of that to put himself in places that were uncomfortable, you know, traveling the world, eating weird stuff. And but he really had a way of words. Man. Yes. He, he could 
talk your pants off a hot dog from Chicago. Yeah. That's what he, he he that's the gift that he had. He's a true he's a true storyteller. That's the word. Before the word was even used yeah. now. And and I'll be honest, he 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 was more of a storyteller than a chef, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Because the, he wasn't that famous of no, a chef. No, he wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't. He came from the same era as uh uh what's his name Eric uh Rupert 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 yes who did uh Le Benedin right uh the seafood uh establishment now the the thing is. Eric Repair stayed on on that course. Only yes. later in his career, the last decade, then he went into television. But Anthony Bodin already knew his he did the his vehicle route. was his words. I mean, he's sorry, his words <laughs> were his vehicle. Sorry, right? And and he knew he was. It's just that because he had the knowledge of food, that was the way he was going to articulate it. You know, and he yeah. did it very well. And he made chefs a thing. You know. Yes. I mean, you got to give credit to him, not like Gordon Ramsay or whatever. No, 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 no. But in a different. He definitely did it. Yes. In the beginning, he opened the doors. Yeah. And then um yeah, once you heard about him, you probably heard about Mark you you heard about Gordon Ramsay before you heard about Mo- Marco Pierre Wright, most people. Which is which is sad, isn't which it? Which is the wrong way actually. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not sure if many people know. Uh Eric Eric Pula, uh Ernie, you can you can say this. Marco was Marco Pierre White was he was the one that gave Gordon Ramsay exactly. his style. Exactly. And made him cry. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And gave him his style probably. Actually to a to a certain aspect. Um. Yes, but the difference, uh, if you ask me, Marco's style in running his team, as uh, crude as it was, it wasn't to demean his staff, but yes, he wanted yes. to bring the best out of them. Yes, it's, it's perfection. perfection. It's the obsession to perfection. Right? It's totally different. Yeah. Gordon... He has his way. Yeah. Which is slightly different. Yeah. Yeah. But then, um, that's the thing, right? That's where I also started to learn, like, all the different chefs, they really put their personality in the restaurant absolutely and because of that i just saw restaurants in a very different way yeah like um you really could feel when a chef is in touch with every inch Mm. of a whole restaurant compared to a chef who just only cares about his food yeah or a chef you you just know that the owner of the restaurant paid him to be there end of story yes you just can tell yes. once you really start to see the differences. That's a super good point. Like when uh, Gordon took over Aubergine, right? Uh, this was in the 90s. And Aubergine was part of a, a hotel, right? And it was run by the same people for God knows how long. And they weren't too happy that uh, Ramsey was taking over. But he took the, took the chance and he took over. And here's the key. All the way down to the napkins that were used on the table was checked by Ramsey. Mm. And that shows the level of commitment in not the just the establishment, but the brand. What is the brand story that you want people to know and understand? The moment you step into a Ramsey establishment, you know what you're in for. Nice. Yeah, exactly. And that is really what I think uh, food is about. It, I think in Asia, we have this thing where, oh, only fine dining restaurant, uh, very atas, and then you vary this, very that. But can I be really honest? I don't know many fine dining restaurants in Singapore where you see character of the of the chef, mm. of the of the of the style of the person in it, right? How many Singapore chefs have done this? Maybe one. We, okay, for me, I'll think of Wei Leong, uh, who, who won the Master Chef uh, sometime. What well, the first one is it? Oh, and then he's yeah, got yeah. this bakery thing going on, right? So for me, that's him. You know, other than that, who are you thinking of? Uh, this guy Jason Jason Leong or something like that. 
Uh-huh. He had the restaurant in the Botanic Gardens for a bit, and then now he opened another one. Botanic I'm blanking of the Gardens. name. Botanic Gardens. Wait, what's it called? Can you I'm Google it? I'm blanking of the name. All right. So the the chef I was thinking about was Jason Tan, who who operated Corner House at Botanic Gardens. Okay. So he he actually put his own twist onto the fine dining. Okay. And then now he opened a new restaurant. He I mean he stopped there already, and it's called Euphoria. Mm. Haven't got the chance to try it yet, but definitely one of those that I will try sooner or later. That's cool. Yeah. What kind of cuisine are they uh, expecting to churn out from Euphoria? It's, I mean, I, I honestly I don't know how to really explain a lot of things okay. because it's always like a influences oh. from here from there, right? Right, right. But right. for him, there's always a very local aspect for sure. Okay. But I will always when it comes to fine dining, right? I will always try it before judging. I will never listen or read whatever review. Oh. Because I always believe in the the story built by the chef. Yeah. So like um, I gained this appreciation for fine dining restaurants during my internship at local restaurant uh, Lesami. Nice. No stars back then. Yep. What, uh, when was this? What year? Two thousand twelve, maybe. Nice. Around there. And, and you that. went to which section in the so kitchen? So I was doing service first. Okay. And then I went to dessert. But then I was just on the past most of Were the time. Were you like the only guy in the dessert section? No, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Quite <Yeah>. surprised. <laughs> yeah. But the chef back then, Armin, he said something that will always stick to me. Like, it doesn't matter what happens now in the kitchen, blah, blah, blah. But as long as when you're here with me, when you go, I want it to be obvious that you came from this restaurant. Like the quality, the things you learned, people know, oh shit, he learned it there, 100%, without a doubt. That was, That is amazing, right there, that statement, right? Yeah. So that mindset alone, I try and hold on to as much as possible. Wow. I think it's a really great mindset yeah. that he built in, in the restaurant. But over there, it's crazy, you know. You see ingredients, you what hear stories. What was your best... Ex- give me one day in all the time that you worked there that was like, damn, that's the, this is my best service I ever had. Um, I think as you work in the restaurant, right, you start to get in the flow, mm. you know. And, and most days, you're drained. Mm. You're... What's that? What's the word for it? You get disillusioned mm. with the lifestyle. But then sometimes when you have a full service, there's like 30 tables and, and fine dining. That's quite a lot. You know, you got to handle tables yourself. And everything goes out perfect. No no chef screaming his head yep. off at you. Yep. No, no, no customers sending anything back. Yep. And then once in a while, you have a little bit of uh, scraps to munch on. <laughs> <laughs> it is it's exactly yeah. what it is. Yep. I think, to me, that's just a nice, you know, when the flow, everything flows perfectly. But I would say some of the greatest experiences there was just working in dessert and experimenting. Mm. You know, uh, we got the opportunity to just play around with the amuse-bouche and all that. Nice. For those who don't know what the amuse-bouche is. You're the one from Lesami. You come educate us. Just uh, the starter starter. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Yes. It's like a mini starter, basically. Yeah. Uh, I think the direct translation is palette teaser, isn't it? Yeah. Amuse like bouche. Something to amuse. Amu- amuse your yeah. palette. Yeah. Yeah. So like after Lazami, I started to really dive deep into molecular gastronomy cooking. Did you have some experience like playing around with stuff in Lezami? Oh yeah. I mean, the first time you see people like squeezing things out of syringe <laughs> and all that, you're like, Holy you're a long shit, way from Kansas. Are, what the hell are they doing, you know? Making like strawberry spaghetti and mm. shit. But very interesting stuff. And then you start to go deep and read and you start to realize that the world of F&B can be limitless. Yeah. Which 
blows your mind when mm. you really get into it. And uh, yeah, food has really given me that love to learn about culture, man, from different countries, and styles, and science. That's what I like also. Mm. What's the craziest dish you have cooked using molecular gastronomy? I, man, I cannot take credit for that because I just piece it together. Yeah. Still, it's a but thing, like, right? Uh, I mean, the thing that would always stick in my mind would be when in the dessert section, my chef created a broken down lemon tart. Whoa, walk us through it. Okay, walk us through it. I mean, in general, the dough, it's frozen after baked, yeah, of course. Is it still a short crust pastry dough? Yeah, in a way. Okay. He just made his own version of it. Okay. And then baked and then sliced and then frozen. So when you bite into it, it's like a crispy, buttery, but cold bits. Okay. And then you have the crunchy cookie. And then you spread it all around the plate. You put lemon curd yeah. in different drops, teardrops. Yeah. Yeah. Different um, whipped cream, uh, meringue. Oh. Herbs, lemon thyme herb. And then you blowtorch the meringue. I think he was doing this before all this. Yeah, like uh, that's sexy, man. That is but, sexy as hell. Yeah, he was doing it before he got famous, you right, know. Right, And then he also had a really interesting dish. It was like a, a mushbush dessert kind of thing. Chili ice cream. Okay. White with a pineapple egg yolk. So it looked like a sunny side up. Oh, <laughs> wow. And I, I thought that was a, one of the best really creative dishes. Nice. Yeah, man. And then when you see how they present things and you just realize like, yeah, you can really go crazy like Heston Blumenthal style oh, yeah, nonsense, yeah, 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 you know? Yeah. He's crazy though. He is crazy, yeah. you know? He inspired me to make my family experiment some of the worst meals they ever had probably. Why? What do you cook? I don't know. I just went crazy like make. Mixing chocolate and sausages and shit like what? that. <laughs> Damn. And then they have to suffer on their palate and their their bills as well. They gotta pay, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's quite funny, eh? yeah. Hey, but at least you got like you can cook for your family and they're like, you know They entertain they me. Entertain you, entertain you. That's why. <laughs> That's important, man. That's How about important. you? What else? Me. How did I get introduced to food? Mom, definitely. I think in my household, in an Indian household, food was uh, always around. Um, we don't come from a rich family, but food was always uh, the center of uh, of the table. Mm. Whether it was a simple dinner that we're having or whether having you know family... Very homely style. Very homely style, yes. Um, and my mom grew up in Malaysia, so there were a lot of influences in the way she cooked dishes that had Malaysian influences. Uh, I remember one story that my mom will always tell me that as a kid, I think maybe I was four or five, and then I'll be bathing. And then if I heard the pots and pans come out and the ignition of the flame, I would like half wet wrap a towel around my waist and then run to the stove pull a little stool and then step on top and then like try and move. yeah I don't know where that came and from and then the towel falls off then that that one is part two la, that one part two <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I, I feel like you can't you can't force something like this into someone it's there or it's not there you know yeah it's part of the growth yeah. I would say yeah so I guess growing up um, obviously, I would you know try try different things, but going into the professional world, so I sucked academically, obviously, right? Because at sixteen, I was like done with N levels, and then I went to study. Now, fast forward all of this, my first gig was actually in the service line, just like you, mm. right? And then one fine day, a uh, guy in the kitchen doesn't show up. The head chef is there; he needs a second hand. I jump in, and then I never look back. And I just worked in different places. I had the chance to uh, work in a hotel as well. So I saw, I saw the the infrastructure structure and style of working mm. in a hotel and all fine and good but it wasn't me you know 
I needed to be on the ground. I needed to know that what I'm cooking, the people who are eating it can tell me what they think about it. Right? Nice. Yeah. You know, maybe it's the, you know, the ego a little bit, but at the same time to know if it sucks or not. Hey, you cannot be a chef if you don't have ego. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Honestly, right? To a very huge extent, there are times where even when someone like, or more than one person tells me the, not customers, but friends, are tell me, hey bro, this one I don't know. If I really legit, I am like hand on the heart, got my money on this dish, right? I'll just say, no, but this is exactly how it's supposed to be. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to say it, man. I remember in the kitchen, like, if you ever tell the chef something wrong, oh. uh, be like, what? You think you know better than me? Uh? Come, you do? Don't what? even bother. Don't even question. Toxic. La. Toxic masculinity. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> At its worst. Okay, so we, we have a special episode dedicated <laughs> just for this. Between the two of us, the number of years, yeah. So it, just for a bit of background, I've been in the industry since I was 16, 17. I'm 32 now. So yeah, I mean, I'm taking a You're break. 32? No lah, 29. You look like a bit. I if, thought 40s. If, uh, I, cannot, I cannot swear on don't this show. Swear, <laughs> don't swear. Wrong show. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I think, so, one full circle, right? So, when Ernie told me that, hey, man, let's do this, this show thing, right? I thought it was a great idea for one simple reason. With food, first of all, as Singaporeans, it's very close to our hearts. Whether you're rich, poor, somehow, some way, food finds its way to us, right? And we have a very discerning palate, you know? Um, secondly, we realized that there was a lot of aspects within food, whether it was culture, whether it was uh, the fact that we are multi-racial, multi-cultural society. And more importantly, how does the dishes that we have grown up with have affected the way that we live or Mm. the influences from Southeast Asia? Especially in Singapore. Especially in Singapore. And I don't think enough of that has been has been really spoken about. And above and beyond that, we're also on the cusp of, you know, 21st century food tech, right? Yep. And 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 we, I won't say reinventing, but kind of upgrading the face of, of what food means to us. And that can be seen in either destroying the heritage of food that we know it, or somehow preserving it in yes. some way or another. Or enhancing it. But there's a fine line between enhancing and crucifying yeah. what is authentically... We really don't know. Yes. You know? So, like, how many times have we gone to places and then they say, oh, fusion, Italian, fusion, this, and then what? They put Tom Yam pasta. There's yeah. not... Please. Honestly, I've been disappointed so much So much, Singapore. yeah. yeah. So, so much, you know? You know what it is, though? It's the lack of creativity. That's why I brought up the thing about Malaysia before. There's something about them, Thailand as well, they can think of the craziest things to put together and the thing works out. Yep, you know? absolutely. I mean, the Indian fine dining chef there, I mean, his restaurant is closed now, mm. but it was so big for a while. Not everyone loved it, mm-hmm. but that's the thing about fine dining or Wait, are you talking about the, the Dave, uh, Dave Manor? Hey, wait, it's still open, right? His place. In Singapore or Malaysia? No, Thailand. Okay, no, so there's this Indian chef in Singapore. He's from uh, Penang. Uh, you go Google it, Google it. I think the guy's name is Dave. Uh, he used to work in White Grass in Chimes. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of the famous chefs, or a lot of the famous restaurants in Singapore are helmed by Indians. Most people might not know. Name me like Burnt Ants. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't think about that. Yeah, it's quite a few actually. Oh, yeah. Burnt Ants is by... Yeah, yeah. hope that gives you a bit of uh, insight into why we started this uh, podcast. But before we end off with this little episode, what would be your last meal, Joseph? Ooh, wow. Uh, I'll start. I'll start. You go. Yeah, you go okay. first. For me, a really, really good sourdough or French baguette with some French butter for sure. 
along with some parma ham or you know hoselito oh, with berico that shit. kind of stuff yes blue cheese olive oil vinegar i'm good wow you know it's so simple yet you know it's decadent man yeah oh that's a good dish for me for me that's good enough yeah, I can eat that every day. Okay, I'm I'm gonna have to take it on the other side of the spectrum. Although I've I love my Asian food and it's very nostalgic in terms of what I grew up with. If I think of the last dish I wanna eat, I wanna eat a poketta. And I'm talking I'm not gonna finish the whole thing, but I wanna see the whole pig in front of me. Yeah. And it has to be made like how the the original recipe calls in Lazio. Because that's where porchetta uh, traces uh, its origin from, right? Yep. And it's quite different. They used to use dates. Ooh. Yeah. They that sounds like maybe some Arabic influence. Dif- yes, because back then they weren't. They didn't have a lot of ink. They even used pistachios. Mm. Very different from the porchetta that we know to be now, you know? For right? sure, for sure. But what was nice about them during that period was they would soak bread. You know how usually in milk? Yep. You know what they would soak theirs in? Wait I for know. it, bro. Brandy, cognac. Oh. <laughs> you soak all that up. Sounds good. Sounds stuff good. it in the pork. Roll the buggers. Stitch him up. Stick him up. Right? Oh man. Oh man. I yeah. think I think as Asians we're not so used to the the sweet going with our savior. Correct. Correct. But the the Western world are totally cool. With but it, do you know? know what is a funny thing, bro? My race, Indians, and I'm talking about India, not what we think okay. Indian food to be. Okay, in biryani, in in certain states, right? Raisins. That's right. Correct. There's, That's okay, the right way, lah. There's a simple pilaf called Kashmiri pilaf, right? No meat. You know what they have in there? Raisins, sultanas, a bit of a uh, fruit candy, and the rice, which flavored with uh, fried shallots and mint and whatnot. Nice. But it's literally a vegetarian, savory rice dish, but with sweet notes in it. Sweet and sour. Love. Exactly. Just Chinese like the got podcast. It right. <laughs> oh. And just like how we'll end off. A little sweet, a little, a little sour. sour. Yeah. Hope you enjoyed your meal, and we'll see you next time.